So this series that we've been going through, we do every single year. Uh, this started a few years back for us. I didn't grow up in a church that uh, did the um, like church calendar. I didn't come up in a, a high liturgical place in a Catholic church or an Anglican church or Episcopal church. Uh, Advent was about the only um, season in the church that we ever did. I'm not even sure why we did it exactly. It was like Christmas time slash Advent. And it wasn't real Advent. Anyone grow up in a church like that? You know, like you're not allowed to sing Christmas songs until Christmas. It's like, it's, I mean, like, like legit. Like, Pastor Sarah, some of you know she preached last week. Apparently she burned the house down. It was an amazing sermon. Um, she, uh, she came from a, a, a liturgical background, and she, she always just chafes when we're singing, like, Joy to the World halfway into December. She's like, no, that's not right. That's not right. Uh, and for the rest of you who didn't grow up in church at all, which is most of our city, uh, basically all we're talking about are there are these seasons throughout the year that the church traditionally, historically, for th literally thousands of years at this point, have said, um, this is the time of year that we wanna focus in on this aspect of Jesus's life. The anticipation before his birth. What it was when he walked the earth, I'm talking about the light entering the world. And then you're, many of you heard of Lent. Lent is a season where we stop and we fast and we reflect internally of like the, the brokenness in our heart as we walk 40 days with Jesus to Easter. And then there's a season now, which is Eastertide. And Eastertide is basically where we go, we don't need just one day to talk about the resurrected Jesus. We need like six weeks, which I love. And so we, we create this little branding around like raised life, what it means to raise life in a culture of death. And the reason why we keep going back to it every year and don't come up with new, some new clever way to say what we wanna say is because I think that there's something um, that is forever, um, forever staining the world around us, right? Which is, 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 we as followers of Jesus call sin. But th there is always in every generation, in every culture, in every context, there, there are, are different angles that need to be explored about what it means to be Easter people in a world that is consistently Good Friday, where there's so much death, where there's a cloudedness around what truth is, where there's lack of clarity, and what it really means to love. Like our world talks so much about love right now and has no cohesive definition of it. It's, it's, there's every generation, every culture, every city, every context is different. Um, it's always a helpful discussion to go, what does it mean to live out the implications that heaven is breaking through right now? We can always talk to the big generic things, but there are specific things in our current cultural moment. And so this year, what we decided to do is talk about uh, what's in the scripture called the fruits, the fruits of the Spirit. The fruits of the Spirit are what this writer Paul in the Bible describes as when you begin to walk in step with the way of Jesus, when you begin to walk in step with heaven, when you begin to walk in step with uh, some of you who have a real allergy to even God words, you're like the divine, like which is fine, by the way, that wasn't sarcastic. Like to walk in step with that which is most true. Paul, this writer Paul in the Bible is saying, you begin to notice some things developing within you. But Paul doesn't just, he talks about how we can cultivate this sort of fruit. We can cultivate things like peace and joy and patience and love we all know this because we're all obsessed with how do we get more of that, do more of that, do better at that. For some of you, those are the only lens you've ever even heard a sermon or a TED talk or a lecture or anything like that. Is oh, how do I get better, which is fine. 
But Paul, first and foremost, is talking about the fruits of the Spirit, about these are, these are like gifts. Like this is just, when you say yes to Jesus as your king, when you step into a family that is not first American, no, is not first New Englander, is not first Italian, is not first whatever, before it's anything else, it's, 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 it's followers of Jesus. Our allegiance gets pledged first and foremost to, to the way of Jesus. Then what begins to happen is, is things begin to change. And, and he, he begins to say, as you begin to trust that you are love, that you've been saved by grace through faith, when you've been forgiven, when you know and trust you've been forgiven, you'll notice fruit rising up within you. You can cultivate it, which is what for the last four weeks we've been talking about. How do I cultivate that? I think I used the, I used the analogy a couple weeks back of you'll, you'll get a tomato plant, but it could be pretty impotent, pretty like small and tiny and green and doesn't really become that big lush. Right? Some of you don't have a green thumb at all. Like I planted the tomato and I did the thing and I watered it and the tomato still like looks purplish, greenish and is this small, right? It's not a cherry tomato, you failed. Right, you, the fruit will come up, but in there's ways you can cultivate it. I, I give that long preface today in particular for this one reason. Is because this fruit that we're gonna talk about today is self-control. And implicitly, even in the word itself, is what do I need to do? The control of myself. And I want to make sure that as a setup, as we talk about how do I, anyone want to become more self-controlled? Anyone not raising your hand is like you're perfect or a liar. There are areas where I would like some more self-control there. Almost every bit of wisdom literature and religion has had a conversation around this. How do we get more self-controlled? How do we um, conform our desires? Buddhism being the most like um, kind of classic one. It's like just the, the idea that you would indulge your desires in any capacity really is essentially uh, what is the root of all evil and brokenness. The, the goal is to almost distance yourself and block yourself out from your own internal desires. Every wisdom literature and every cultural religion have, have wrestled but how do we do this? And like all of these other fruit, but especially this one, the posture for many of you is, cool, I can't wait for some pro tips on how to be more self-controlled. And hopefully I'll have a couple pro tips for you. But we cannot, as followers of Jesus, lose sight of just the very gift that this is. Apparently, when we begin to submit ourselves to the lordship of Jesus, which is a very inside baseball way of saying we, we come in line with truth, where we acknowledge that we are creature and not creator, when we acknowledge we're not at the center of the universe, that we have been saved and loved, that that's the beginning of things. That when we do that, and the more we lean into that, these gifts Man, these gifts come. They are gifts. Just begin to, 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 to come. Because I, I think when we talk about self-control, the word I get uh, caught up in often is this word moderation. My personality type does not lend itself very well to moderation. Anyone else out there? Can I have a little, little honest moment? Yeah. No, not, not good at it. 
Anyone know like the Enneagram? I'm a, I'm a seven on the Enneagram. We don't, we don't do moderation. It's not our thing. We celebrate. Any sevens in the room? Anyone have no idea what I'm talking about? Amen. All right. <laughs> moderation, though, is, is an interesting concept because it gets, you can see how it gets attached to self-control pretty easily. Right? Control yourself. Self-mastery. And so to be, to be mastered by, to, be, to master yourself is to just really look out at, at the world and, and to, to, to realize that you, you need to, to moderate yourself. There are things that you need to do less of, do more of, and really, whether it's, I mean, I heard someone say the other day, oh, that's cool, you're, you're part of the church. I know somebody goes there. I love that. And it's like, you know, just a little bit of religion, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And he's like, yeah, because, you know, you know, you're not, I love that you're a church. You're not one of those churches that's like crazy. And at first I took that as like, a, cool. And then I drilled down a little more. And what this person was saying was like, yeah, you know, you guys just, it's moderate. And I thought, oh, no. If moderate means like we're not like those guys who are politicizing the way of Jesus to do something, you know, backwards. And that's your version of fundamentalism. Then, okay, great. But I got the impression it wasn't quite that. Like, I want to be a Christian extremist. I don't know about any of you. Jesus calls us to take up our cross. There is nothing moderate about the way of Jesus. You can't moderately walk with the way of Jesus. I mentioned just a few weeks ago, I had, I, had a, I had a good friend kind of leave the church or is leaving the church. And the biggest wrestling and struggle that this person was going through is like everything just keeps coming back to Jesus and I just really want some more pro tips on how to live better. Six years ago, you would have been really good in this church, but a whole lot has changed and we're just tired of that, actually. Not of them, but of that. To pick up your cross is to, to say, actually, there's no such thing as a moderate Christian. No moderation in all things, No. When I say I want to be like a ex Christian extremist, I hope you know what I mean. Like Christian extremist, let's just go literal. It's like I, I actually want to lay down my life. I want to get to the point where I'm really ready to do that. I want to grow in my capacity to forgive and to keep forgiving. I want to be a person where there's not one iota of gossip that ever leaves my lips. I want to become a person where cynicism has no say. Never. Why? Because I'm full of hope and I can be critical and fight for injustice and don't have to be cynical. Right? Like I get fired up even just thinking about this because there's no place for moderation. Jesus says, this is not me just kind of going off on a tangent. Pick up your cross and follow me. And we go, oh yeah, yeah, I gotta do my quiet time. Yeah, it's hard, it's hard in the morning. Woo, getting up that extra 10 minutes, hard. Pick up your cross, I mean, we need to translate this. I need to translate this often. Pick up my execution device. This was like a literal thing. Pick up my, I need, to, I, need to, I need to pick up my electric chair today. I need to fry, I need to, I need to fry some things today. <laughs> I need to sit some things down in my electric chair that are keeping me from walking the life of, of heaven and the way of Jesus and leaning into the way of grace. I need to be serious about this. I mention all this because I have to get up here right now and talk about something that I am awful at. I never had to share about something. Maybe it wasn't in church. Maybe someone asked you for advice about something and you're like, I am a fraud. I cannot give you advice. Or you actually have really good advice and as you're saying it, you're like, that's pretty good. I should take, take that. 
<laughs> wow, Andrew, nice one. You're like looking back at yourself like, I should write that down. <laughs> I just want to be honest with you. And in, and in wrestling with this text over the course of the series, and, and frankly, this has been a journey I've been on now for a couple of years related to some like, sin that I have in my own heart, has been realizing that there is a corollary between killing this moderation and, and balance, because usually moderation and balance ends up affecting the things that are, are most important in my life. And it's relationship to being able to not let my, my, my desires and my addictions run rampant. Remember the Britney Spears line? To lose, <laughs> to lose all my senses is just so typically me. Right? Anyone too young for that one? It's like the spirit of our age. Addiction's everywhere. And so I just want to connect the dots for us really quick. It's going to be a really short talk, I think. There's a connection here. Because you may, when you hear the word addiction, immediately go to, oh, yeah, there are some people who really struggle with addiction. And they, addiction is like capital A, drugs, alcohol, sex. But I don't know about you, I, I, I uh, left my cell phone um, accidentally in the airport. I, I, before I left, I was on vacation last week. I left my airport, I left my airport, I left my phone at the airport, realized it on the flight down. Uh, realized it actually pretty quickly, as soon as I got on the plane, I couldn't find it. At the next stop, I called back the airport, they found it, put it in a safe, and I wasn't gonna be able to get, I was overseas, so I wasn't gonna be able to get back to this for seven days. Best mistake I've ever made. Best mistake I've ever made. Unbelievable. But I just want to point out that um, phantom pocket vibration syndrome is very real. <laughs> and I'm embarrassed. I talk so much about Sabbath and killing technology. I think I have the healthiest relationship. And I'm sitting here just pulling up the passage really quick and I get a notification on Facebook. And I checked it while Jocelyn was giving those incredible announcements. What is wrong with me? And it's Facebook. Does anyone even look at Facebook anymore? Like, and I'm laying there in bed the first day of vacation, and I go, I wake up. It's the first thing I wake up, and I go, roll over to the end table, and I realized I caught myself going, oh, I have a problem. Anyone ever tried to go without coffee? Even really good things, right? Chocolate, praise God. Right? Anyone ever just tried to go without it for a little while? We think about addiction, I think too often we go big and we don't realize that anything that we depend on, anything we depend on, there's a whole lot of scripture that speaks to this. And Second Peter just speaks about like how anything that has mastery over you, anything that has mastery over you, anything that makes you a slave. And it's funny how the smallest things can become very big things. I think what so often happens when we moderate the things that we really should be extreme about, it leaves so much more room for the lesser things to get their claws in us. Do you hear that? 
I want to unpack that in a moment. When we begin to moderate the things that we should be more extreme about, it gives room for things that, that really need to find their proper place way down the totem pole of importance to get their claws in us and actually become something way more than they should. 10% of Americans are addicted to shopping. Something happens when you shop. Again, really good thing that like nothing to do with actually the exchange. You just need the interchange. I mean, social media, everyone talks about the death, but that is a, I mean, a rampant issue. You can't stop. Exercise. Anyone love, anyone experience the runner's high? Right? And that's a good, it's a great thing, but right, our bodies then latch on to that feels really good, and this is where habits and then addictions come from. This is not slamming a runner's high, so I wish I had a runner's high more often. That would mean I ran a lot more. But this is how these things begin to form, which is interesting why when I look at somebody, I always am fascinated by the person who's, a, who's like, I am a passionate follower of Jesus. And if I looked at the amount of time they spent in the word and in prayer and the amount of time they spent at the gym and it's like this, I go, you're somebody who has incredible discipline and have formed incredible habits around being at the gym every single day. I hope I'm not hitting too close to home right now. Like there is, I've become extreme. I've leaned into this, and I've moderated this. Well, everything in moderation. You get up extra early to pray. Ooh, that's bordering on the, like, you're a weird Christian thing. Let's back off that, okay? You following me? Self-mastery, then, is control of self by self for the sake of self. The control of self by self for the sake of self. And so if this is a reality, and if, like, um, a famous uh, quote from Plato where he's talking about self-mastery. And he goes, it's kind of ridiculous. He, he says this, they, they, they promise freedom, like having self-control, they promise freedom while they themselves are slaves to depravity. For a person is enslaved to whatever has mastered him. And so he goes, isn't the phrase self-mastery absolutely absurd? It's the idea that, well, who, who, which self is controlling? Right? He's just like pointing out this kind of ridiculousness that's caught in this moment of saying, I have control over myself. My, my, my true virtues are winning out over my lesser virtues as if you can decipher that. And so this, followers of Jesus, is our response to all of this. Titus chapter three, three to five. At one time, you two were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But then, but when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. By wrongly assuming that when Paul says self-control is a form of self-mastery, self is saying one of the fruits of the Spirit is you're gonna be able to like, like have just internally, you're, you're gonna just be able to have all this power over your own issues. Christians, one writer says, are often zealously championed self-control. In doing so, well-meaning Christians have assumed that people can be trained to be masters of their own unhealthy desires and passions. By wrongly believing that we are individually equipped to deal with these problems by ourselves, we have unwittingly cut ourselves off from the very resources God has entrusted us to come to our benefit. 
You hear that? You get a taste of this in real life if you don't believe me. Like, think of like a 12-step program. Anyone ever been in a 12-step program? You know the first thing is like you're distancing yourself from yourself. You need a higher power. You need a higher power. I need some, I don't have the resources within me. And we go, oh, yeah, yeah, well, sure, for the alcoholic. But believe me, I've heard Simon Sinek's talk on blank this many times. I've got this. And no, I've read those three books. I, I figured out how to like live my best life now when it comes to eating blank. And so we act like we can white knuckle our way through life and then we're even choosing the right things to have mastery over. Uh, what Ken, this writer Kensington is saying is that we actually cut ourselves off from the resources that are available to us when we isolate the things we need to have self-control over and just try our best to white knuckle and force our way through and to fix it. Just stop for a minute. What's the thing that's in the front of your mind right now that you're like, I wish I could have some self-control over and I wish Andrew would give me a magic bullet? Don't say it out loud. You can if you want, but you may not want your neighbor to know. What's the thing? Even if it's just mom, maybe you don't have some epic thing you feel like in your life right now. Not that. 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 I just want to pause this for a minute and like keep that in front of your mind. Because this is really simple. My, my talk has like one point to it. And it's, it's that every time that self-control is mentioned in the scriptures by Paul, the context is something like um, uh, the way an athlete like trains. Like an athlete forsakes all else, like in 1 Corinthians 9, 25 to 26. Paul contrasts self-control with running. He uses the word aimlessly. Run with aim. Run with focus. An athlete who, because they have decided they are going to condition their body in such a way to win that prize and do that thing, what begins to happen to all their other desires? Anyone ever trained for something? Like for a long period of time. I don't mean just like you ran for like three weeks before you had to do that 5K and you threw up at the end. Did you notice something when you begin to adopt a habit that has like a, a, a relatively noble aim to it and focus to it? What happens to the desires that used to crowd that out? They begin to what? They begin to fade a little bit, right? They begin to fade. All of a sudden, I don't crave that food anymore. I used to crave that nonstop for years. Why don't I like donuts anymore? I mean, that's not really a thing that people go through, but, you know, just as a ridiculous example. I just don't, I just don't want that any, anymore. See, for Paul, self-control is not, is not focusing in on the thing, create list of pro tips, and then deal with that thing in this isolated box. Chris, I believe we have um, the, 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 the passage of the fruits of the Spirit up there. I just want you to notice, just real quick, where this is, self-control, in the lineup. He's talking about walking in the Spirit, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I would argue with any sort of logical sense, and I don't have time to get into the background and the Greek and what's really going on and how he's playing with some of the cultural norms right now, but it's really fascinating. But basically, self-control should kind of be at the front, Right? Have self-control, 
control yourself and then you can control yourself to become more loving. Control yourself and you can become more patient. Discipline yourself and beat your body into submission so that you can be more fill in the blank, right? This just makes sense. And he kicked back with this. We realize this, right? If I can control myself, then this. So many writers have talked about, isn't it interesting that Paul puts it at the end? It's almost like self-control is a reward. It's almost like self-control is like, hey, here's the cherry on top, way to go. It's like when you begin to cultivate all of these fruits, which are all other-centric and built on love, God has been so kind to me. I'm kind. God has been so loving me. Loving. God, the grid made peace with me. I'm moving into peace. God has been so faithful to me. Helps me explore my faithfulness. I'm going to be faithful to others in the community. And then you get to self-control. And you're like, God's self-controlled? Right? It doesn't actually make sense. Oh, yeah, my God. God, you are self-controlled. As if he has desires and passions that need to be controlled. Are you following me? Say yes. So, so what is he saying? It's like the more and more I begin to lean into a life, a radical life of love and kindness and peace and patience, and the more I cultivate those, and the less I am moderate about any of those other fruits, the more I am reckless and extreme in loving Joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. Then the self-focused thing starts to go away. You could say it like this. I love this. Think of self-control in its true sense. Like, oh, it's control over yourself. But like control over your selfishness. Control over your ego. When everything else begins to bear such beauty and fruit for others, all of a sudden, right, Maslow's hierarchy, it puts you at the top. And it's like love, kindness, gentleness, patience. Man, I don't have a whole lot of time for selfish addiction when my life, and I have a culture in my heart that is filled with love and peace and kindness and patience. Oh, freedom. I've mentioned this about a billion times, but it's one of my favorite passages. Paul's telling people in his community, you gotta tell people to stop stealing. <laughs> there's all this stuff going on. And basically there's this list of sins that come up. And what Paul does, this writer who's writing to the early church, he does this. He does this. He goes, um, don't just tell people to like stop stealing. Like don't put all the focus and energy on like knock it off. Anyone have a porn addiction? Hands never go up. It's like a trick. The focus always becomes, how can I just beat that? Can I beat that? The best filters, not that this isn't like a bad thing, like a filter that cuts you off from being able to access the site. I'm not against like things like that that are helpful getting you there. But the best things that actually kill that addiction to begin to really take, take a hold of it is, is the great redirect. It's not just focusing all of your energy and attention on stopping the thing. It's where else is your energy and in your life and what else is your focus. 
And so what Paul does in this passage, he goes, don't just tell them not to steal. Put their hands to the plow. Because stealing takes energy and creativity in it. And it begins to like build a habit. A habit loop. If you ever read The Power of Habit, great book. It talks about the cues and the reward and the way your mind is wired. And so something like stealing and something like pornography, the reason why these things become addictive, internet, like the, the web, even like good things become addictive is they, we build them in, we build them in, and then when we try to stop them, we're actually almost making it worse because we're putting all of our energy into that. And Paul goes, put your energy on the kingdom. Help someone. <laughs> now, it's never quite that simple. But whenever I hear anyone who's going through anything or dealing with addiction, I'm always like, where are you serving? The first time I took a friend to, we used to do this after-school art program at Reservoir Ave Elementary School. We'd, I remember taking her there. She was going through some serious, serious addiction. And it was this incredible moment. This, I remember the beginning of the journey was realizing, what she realized and connected it out so quickly was my addiction it's just so self-centered. And just for a moment, I mean, she was deep into this thing. And just having an afternoon, I mean, this is low-hanging fruit. One hour caring for some kids who are in an at-risk elementary school. Just blessing them a little bit. It was like, oh, I am. The freedom that she just got a taste of for a moment. Realizing that the answer to dealing with this it was not just how do I turn all my attention on better fixes and pro tips to deal with my addiction and my issues of self-control? I need to reroute my energies into the things of the kingdom. So things like fasting would be a pro tip for you today. If you're dealing with addiction, you should cut it off, take some time, know what it feels like to not do it. But fasting alone is not enough. It's quite possible to learn to say no to self without saying yes to God and neighbor. That's why fasting in the scripture is almost always linked to then caring for the poor. Isn't that interesting? When you fast, like make sure you're praying. Make sure you're filling this with something else. The point of fasting isn't just walking away from it and maybe I'll break it by magically not doing it for three or four days. No, it'll probably come back harder or stronger. Fill that space with something else. Prayer and fasting, one writer says, is not so much an exercise in self-denial as it is an exercise in cultivating awareness. Too often, hear this, we unwittingly nourish our addictions because we so clutter our lives with busyness that we have little time or energy left to reflect on the direction of our life. Look, the tragedy in our lives that our lives are often marked by, like, have all, are all around this um, way that we are so moderate or lukewarm about things that we should be passionate about. We are lukewarm and moderate about things that we should be passionate about. I humbly submit to you. This may feel like, like out of left field of how do I deal with this addiction or these sets of things, but I, I, I think that what Paul is saying is, is when we turn our eyes on Jesus, we say, Lord, I, I need you. I can't do this on my own. What God begins to do, in part, in part, is to open up a whole world. There are things that I do in my life, places that I serve that have nothing to do with sanctuary, nothing to do with my work. There are places in my life that I have learned 
that if I don't give myself wholly to other people and other things where I get no credit for it and no buzz and no like earthly reward for, I will find my addictions rise very quickly. I begin to realize when I become someone obsessive about the things of love and kindness and peace and joy and hope and don't just moderate them, I find myself, my ego becoming under control. I share with you something I never thought I'd ever share. It's not that racy, it's just weird. I love music, love art. And my entire ministry, um, before I even wanted to say I was in ministry and be honest about that, I never wanted to do this job, by the way. This is all still a little weird to me. Was because, um, was built on like, we need to have freedom in Christ. It was like, you can listen, you can listen to Kanye and love Jesus. Kanye's a weird example today, but you know. Like, 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 and you can, by the way. <laughs> and, 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 and alcohol and, and I just all the things that are like, they're not inherently bad. They're, they're, it can be really good. And, and yet, I, I didn't grow up in like a super legalistic space, but I, I just, I wanted to be a church that like never talked about like, you better make fundamentalist about your quiet time and leadership can't drink because there's too much of a risk of what could happen and make sure you're only listening to worship music and, and, you know, when you look at, you know, certain art, it has to be this, and it has to have angel wings on it. I mean, I was never in any of that. But I, there's always been an internal thing that's pushed back against any kind of Christian culture. That's probably why a lot of you are at our church in some ways, in some subterranean level. You're like, oh, they're not like one of those churches. Recently, I don't know how to listen to anything other than, like, Cheeseball Hillsong. Not the Hillsong's Cheeseball. They're great. Sorry. Carl Lenz is in the front row here. What I'm trying to say is this. And sorry, this is really convoluted and personal, so I feel like I need to come down here. I, I realize that if I'm not like extreme enough in what I allow into my brain, this is just me. I'm not putting this on anybody else. Please don't hear this. Like if I don't make sure that that 20 minute car ride, if all that is is like news about Trump and then like whatever the latest like hip hop record is, because I just love hip hop, and I don't love a lot of Christian hip-hop, which I probably should try to adopt, that, like, my mind gets to, to, I've done nothing wrong, I've not sinned, but that is shaping the culture in my head. It is shifting my cynicism and my anxiety. Like, very subtle shifts. I use this as one example, and I could go down a laundry list, and you have your own. Don't hear an ounce of legalism, please, here. What I'm trying to say is when we talk about the culture of our heart and mind being a place, being soil, right? To use Paul's metaphor, soil where good fruit grows. Then if I'm constantly like dropping weeds in there or like walking by with a little bit of, <laughs> I don't know. can't think of a weed right now. <laughs> Daffodil, dandelion? No, those are flowers. Whatever. Got to think through these first. If I'm, if I'm, if, if there's a little bit of weeds constantly creeping in, if I'm not tending to the garden, if this isn't really good soil, if I'm not continuing to care for it and tend to it, what's going to happen? The weeds are going to come in. The brokenness is going to come in. The addiction is going to come in. The vibe is going to come in. It is not one of the way of Jesus. What happens if I put all my energy into the garden? 
If I'm constantly like thinking about this fruit and this fruit and this vegetable and this vegetable, I'm caring for it, and then they begin to blossom, and then they're really healthy. Do you know what happens when you got a really healthy plant? What does it do to the weeds? It's not on defense anymore. It's on offense. So often, it's pushing back. And now I have a garden full of fruit, not just a little bit of fruit where I'm constantly trying to manage the weeds. When Paul lists self-control at the end of the fruits of the Spirit, I don't think it's random. I think he's saying, this is what's going to happen when you put all of your, when you are focused on Jesus. When you are focused on who he is, because all of those other things that we have in the fruits of the Spirit are what Jesus is like. God is patient and God is kind and God is loving and God is faithful. And when I'm reflecting on that and in that and, and, and allowing that to be the dominant thing that enters into my mind, I actually know more scripture than I know about the Comey investigation. Wow. What would begin to develop and what Addictions would begin to fade. Some of you, you're battling some big things right now. I pray you don't hear this as being overly simplistic. You need that counselor. You need those people in your life who are putting up those strong boundaries. This is not choose one or the other. But man, church, I speak with passion on this. Because we as a community, if we are going to be people of love and patience and kindness and justice and beauty in our city, getting the things that are broken and messed up and out of line and out of whack in our hearts under control is going to be critical. If we're in this for the long haul to be a church that's fighting for the oppressed and caring for the hurting and people of love and hope in our city, we better have some self-control. And that's not going to come from just nice accountability groups, though those are great. No hate to non-accountability groups. Let's pray. Lord, as we come to the table, that's supposed to be a short talk. Sorry, Jesus. Jesus, I, I, um, I, I, I'm thankful. I'm a little caught up in myself right now, God, and I pray that blesses maybe one person here. God, forgive me. Forgive me, Lord, for my heart being focused on lesser loves than you. Forgive me, Lord, for idolizing balance and moderation for the sake of, I don't know, saving face or immediate indulgence. Lord Jesus, you've invited us to walk in step with the Spirit, to live up to what we've already attained. And what we've attained is forgiveness, is a new identity. What we've attained is, is, is love and, and, and a, just a, a new name. Children of God, let us live up to who we are in you. And so I pray, God, as I do for myself, for my brothers and sisters, who need a radical reorienting, radical reordering of their margin, a reordering of Netflix time, a reordering of downtime, a reordering of their work hours, a reordering of what's 
what they put into their mind on the regular. God, I pray that we would know that surely love and goodness and peace and kindness are found in you are found in you, Lord. And when our eyes are turned on you, Lord, we are home. Some people this morning need to just re-up and come home. They need to turn around and come home. They didn't like straight up walk away from home. They've just been like side-eyeing home and slowly drifting away. They're on the porch. They haven't left the yard, but they just need to turn and come back home. Recognize, Lord, that you are where the life is. That you say I've come to give you life and life to the full and there is no other who has the kind of life that I have. There's no other. And so, Lord, we need you. Every hour, we need you. We need you to call. We need you even just to call us back home. And we need you, Lord, to heal our fickle hearts. God, so (laughs) we commit. We commit again. Every one of us, I pray, who's like, you're speaking to it all right now in this moment. We, Lord, would commit to allowing these words that we're about to sing, surely love and goodness, peace and kindness will follow me, to let that refrain just pummel us like water against the rocks. It would sweep us up into a vision that you have for our life and that we may find the lesser loves, the idols, the addictions fade to black. Please.